This is Policy on Purpose, a podcast produced by the LBJ School of Public Affairs at the University of Texas at Austin. We take you behind the scenes of policy with the people who help shape it. For more, visit lbj.utexas.edu. Hello, everyone. This is Angela Evans. I'm the dean of the LBJ School, and I'm so pleased to welcome today my special guest, Royce Brooks, who's the director of Annie's List. And I also want to thank everybody for continuing to listen to our podcast, Policy on Purpose. Uh, So welcome. Um, I am so pleased uh, that you're with us today. Um, And can I call you Royce? Uh, Please do. And thank you for having me. This is really exciting. Well, when I was reading up about you and I knew you were coming to visit the school, I was amazed at the breadth of your experience in terms of the various levels of government that you've had experience in. And and not only the government, but in cross-sector. So you've had nonprofit, Mm -hmm. and then you've had think tank, and then you've been working uh, on mayoral candidacies, uh, and you've been working with Wendy Davis on the gubernatorial candidacy. And uh, and now with all of this, it's just like an amazing rep. You're just an incredible package of information (laughs) uh, and experience. In terms of, you know, trying to get women uh, to vote and understanding uh, the kinds of complexities that are involved in a political campaign, a political system, creating a platform, uh, going and trying to garner support, both in terms of dollar support, but in terms of, you know, people voting for you. So I know Annie's List uh, has been, it's very lucky to have you as the executive director. And uh, and I know this is a big part of what you do. So what I'd like to talk about today is just... Have you talked to us about your what your experiences have shown you consistently as being the challenges for women when they're trying to get in office, whether it's the state, local, or federal level? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, thank you for um, identifying my career as an impressive breadth of experience. <laughs> I think my parents for a while were wondering, why does she have so many different jobs every couple of years? Um, no, no but, know, it's, but it's, it's wonderful. It's, it's a very rich, robust background that you have in it, this. It has been really exciting. And I think, um, you know, most of my career really has been in policy roles. And this Annie's List role is more um, of a hard political role. And it also feels like really the culmination of so many things that I have cared about over time. Um, I have come to observe in various policy um, opportunities that you can you can make a difference marginally, right? You can you can help implement a new policy, you can sort of help design a new program. Um, if you are lucky, if you're less lucky, maybe you're just defending against some bad things. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you really want a chance at helping to make uh, systemic change, you have to change who holds power. And so that's really where the um, electoral part connects with the larger um, progressive project and really the um, the Texas and the America and the world that we're trying to build. Mm-hmm. Um, Annie's List was founded 15 years ago to um, help recruit and train and elect women to office. And it was founded um, really because there are barriers to entry for women seeking to 
run. Um, there are different ways that women make the decision to run from men. Um, you know, research sort of shows this. Men tend to uh, run ambitionally. They mm -hmm. look inside their own soul and decide, um, you know, this is what I want to do. And women um, tend to use a more relational model for deciding whether to run, um, meaning that they look outside themselves. They um, look at their family obligations, their community obligations, their work um, obligations, their networks, um, and in a way uh, sort of start from a premise of almost talking themselves out of running. Um, women also tend to be less frequently uh, recruited or sort of asked, have you thought about running? And that um, mm -hmm. starts all the way back in childhood. Are you, right? a, are you seeing a difference though now? Are you seeing with the newer generation that are those holding, are those characteristics holding? Are you starting to see maybe a third reason, which is I have to get in because I have to still consider my family and my networks and my community and my obligations, but it's a must because what I see around me is just not what I really want our children to grow into. So I'm well, just wondering if you're yeah, seeing in your own way a and shift. That's, and that's exactly um, right, that once women um, sort of traditionally have gone down the list of reasons why they might not run, um, in, the, in the end, they are running because they have to, because they feel really compelled. Um, and in this moment in particular, we're seeing so many women who uh, really just feel like they have to be um, in the game. And so we've seen record numbers of, of women approaching us. I know our allies have, have seen the same. Um, during the most recent electoral cycle, we mm -hmm. actually trained more than a thousand women um, wow. how to run, which is a record um, for us and I think really is indicative of um, what I hope is a lasting trend. You know, I think some people also don't think about the attendant consequence of this is that women who go through the training in Annie's List form a network in and of themselves, you know, being together and supporting each other yes. as running uh, candidates, that this is, they have a, a network to go to. And I think that's really an important uh, consequence of being part of Annie's List. It's a good consequence. Absolutely. And we see that. We see our um, our candidates um, sort of forming circles with each other, our um, former, we train not only people who are looking to potentially run, but also um, people who are looking to serve on campaign staff. And we've seen our um, staff trainees, our campaign school participants um, sort of form their own really close networks with each other. Um, even our interns stay in touch with each mm -hmm. other and, and um, kind of have a fun time. So, uh, you know, people like to talk about the um, progressive infrastructure or lack thereof here in Texas. Mm -hmm. And I really like to think of the people that Annie's List has touched, the candidates we've helped to to run, um, the people we've helped to elect, the women we've trained, the interns we've had, the donor base we have as um, sort of a shadow progressive infrastructure mm -hmm. for the state. Mm -hmm. 
Well, one of the things I was thinking about, too, when we were – and I was thinking about what to ask you and what the folks who are listening to this might be thinking about – is when people expect when women are running that their platform is going to be very social, you know, socially oriented rather than economic or international or whatever. But they're going to have to run on all of those. So do you see part of what your role is is to get them comfortable talking in these different areas or using those areas as uh, giving them more strength to talk about those areas where people who are in the electorate are going to see them as an international leader or, you know, like a an economic, economic leader rather than it's going to be family issues only. I, I think sometimes we tend to categorize women as being like, oh, well, they're going to have the soft issues and they're not going to be able to deal with the hard issues. So talk to us a little bit about how you, you balance those for the women who come to you. Sure. So I think for us, it's less about the issues and getting the women um, sort of providing them, helping them build expertise in those issues um, and instead helping them to present their best and um, most authoritative selves um, and, and really be seen as uh, the leaders that they are. Mm-hmm. A woman who raises her hand and decides to run for office and a man who raises his hand and um, says he wants to run, there's no logical reason why one might expect the man to have some sort of brilliant expertise in Mm -hmm. international affairs that the Mm -hmm. woman doesn't have, right? Um, But people tend to listen to men in a different way. So one of the trainings that we actually provide for um, our endorsed candidates is sort of executive presence, coaching, Mm -hmm. media training, those kinds of things that can help someone to feel comfortable speaking with authority um, and and presenting themselves as as a real leader. Mm -hmm. I think that's really important because I think in many cases – the expectation, there's a fear. I mean, you're going to go out and you're going to be out there and everything that you are is going to be public. And how are you going to handle that? And so having some experiences say, number one, you're going to experience this. Number two, you won't be the first or the last person yes. to experience. And here are some tools that you can use to keep this very, you know, so you're, you have, you protect your own psyche in person, but at the same time you project that. I think that's a, that's a very important thing uh, for any candidate, but particularly for women. Uh, I, you know, I see a difference in the graduate students here, the difference between the way the women approach an issue and the way the young men approach it. There just is. I mean, is, I can't categorize it as like and generalize it. Everybody's this way. But it's exactly. a fun, women are like a, this. Yes, are like no, but there's a <laughs> fundamental, the way they think, and it's wonderful the way they think. So it's just celebrating that and how you take that wonderful gift and move it into an environment that hasn't always been friendly mm-hmm. or uh to those kinds of approaches, I think, is really an important aspect of preparing women. Absolutely. So I had another question, though, um, and this is a question that comes back to me. I was part of um, Leadership America many, many years ago, and it started in Texas uh, by women who wanted to grow leaders in, in Texas, and it grew nationally. And I was one of, in the first national class. And Ann Richards uh, came to speak to us. And one of the things that she said that just always stuck with me, she said, you know, women don't support women. 
and they don't support them in a way financially. So women, so she asked all of us, she says, how many of you bought a new pair of shoes in the last six months? So, you know, raised her hand, she says, why don't you take that money and contribute? No, I love it. I'm going to uh, use that at our fundraisers. <laughs> because, you know, you, you don't think about as a contributor, as somebody who's contributing to a campaign for women, that's a very important part of women supporting women. Um, so I thought that was an interesting perspective that she had, that women tend not to do that. They tend not to get into the political stream from a financial perspective. Uh, mm-hmm. So have you seen more of that from actual donors and you know women actually stepping up and trying to contribute to this? Absolutely. Well, an Annie's List really started as a donor circle of women, um, which made it unique in the space 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, w- you know, women were really kind of not um, stepping up in these kinds of numbers and with this uh, level of intention to help elect other women. Mm-hmm. Um, so Annie's List, I think, really is a leader um, in that way. But I think that um, everybody, if you're serious about politics and making change, donating is one of the most important things that you can do. And people can do it at every level. I think that one of the myths that we've seen um, kind of dissipating over the last several electoral cycles is that only major donors can make a difference or have a voice, right? Mm-hmm. We've seen sort of the triumph of the the $5 donors right. with um, some of the national candidates um, recently. And, and so I think that there is a growing awareness of the importance of that type of engagement. Um, but, you know, it's also the case that um, many of our candidates tend to be heavily outraised by their male opponents. Um, and so it's it's not only money that makes a difference. Um, you know, when we are heavily outraised and yet we win, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's because of the work that we're putting in, um, going out, knocking doors, leveraging personal networks, social networks. Um, you know, there's there's more to it than money, but mm-hmm. um, money is, is, you know, for better or worse. And, uh, well, it's support. I mean, it gives some capacity to those types of things that you want to do. I mean, obviously, a lot of this is on the backbone of volunteers or agencies like your, your own, but money does help get that capacity. So the idea that even if you're a small donor, it makes a difference. You know, it, do, it will help somebody. Um, I'd like to shift a little bit and just if I gave you a crystal ball, and I don't want to put you on the spot, but if you're looking at over the next two years, what do you see as some of growing out of the what happened in the uh, election in 18? What kind of trends are you seeing for 2020? Are you seeing anything different or things that we should be aware of or looking to or things that you you can also think about answering the question of how you're going to be adjusting in terms of new people who will be coming to you now for the 2020? Sure. I think that there are a few trends that we're seeing. I think that uh, one is just the remarkable opportunity for progressive change here in Texas. Um, And I think that 2018 really bore that out. Um, You know, people 
like to say Texas is a red state. It's it's going to stay red. We've been chasing, sort of turning mm-hmm. it blue for years now. Um, and there are skeptics who just don't believe that that is going to happen. Um, but, you know, Beto at the top of the ticket in 18 cut um, Hillary Clinton's vote uh, margin in half, basically, um, from 2016. And Hillary had cut Obama's vote margin basically in half from 2012. Um, so, you know, we're seeing that shift mm-hmm. take place. Um, and part of what's driving it is increased voter participation um, it, an increased number of voters being engaged, being informed, um, feeling compelled to engage in this process. So in Texas uh, in 2018, almost as many people voted um, in this midterm election as voted in the 2012 presidential election. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just an incredible sort of um, increase of, of people um, coming out and voting. And almost all of that increases in sort of um, progressive uh, communities and, and strongholds. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one of the trends that we're um, excited to see. And that's um, one of the reasons why Annie's List um, is really prioritizing trying to flip control of the state house. Mm-hmm. Um, we, uh, as as Democrats, are nine seats down from control, um, but Democrats actually flipped 12 seats in 2018. Um, and so the opportunity, you know, really seems to be there. And uh, that's what we'll be focusing on. I think uh, a potential issue that lots of people will be trying to figure out how to deal with is the end of straight ticket voting. Um, This Mm -hmm. past uh, 2018 general election was the last election with straight ticket voting in Texas. Um, So there will be some uh, determination of of trying to figure out how to communicate Mm -hmm. the change um, to voters and make sure that people know what to expect so that they feel comfortable um, when it's time to vote. Uh, But I think the real import of that change is going to ultimately be in making uh, some of these down-ballot races a lot more expensive Yeah, because people um, who have traditionally run on slates um, together will now have to run individual campaigns and build up their own name ID. It's going to make the sort of political marketplace that much more crowded, and it's going to um, take that much more money um, to be able to kind of make your name stand out for voters. And but it's also and on the other hand, it's going to help people really be informed about individual candidates. It's going to force that kind of scrutiny. We hope. Uh, I, we hope. I do we hope. hope that that's. We I hope. do hope that that's the case. But I think that um, you know people people will need to be prepared to understand yes. the the ways that this is different mm-hmm. now. Well, I always think you know people who don't vote. I don't understand that at all in terms of being an American and not voting. Uh, and also having to work to be informed to vote. I mean, that's just something that 
this is what the country was built on, an informed citizenry to vote. And this is something we have to come back to. I mean, this is so important, and a lot of people get lazy about it. Or they the excuse, I get disenfranchised. Oh, there isn't any candidate that I want to vote for, so I'm not going to vote. And it's like, that just is, it is so appalling to me. Uh, <laughs> but seriously, it really is. And I think that's something where everybody, like your, you know, your organization too, is getting people involved in understanding who's putting themselves, who's putting themselves in the arena. Who's taking that chance to move in, and why are they doing it, and what do they have to offer, and why should or should we not support that person? That's that's a really important consequence of what you're doing. Well, I I do agree, and I think that everybody should vote. Yes, um, and I you know was raised with that ethic, but I do think that um, for a lot of people who don't vote, um, it, it is it is not just a matter of sort of um, personal failing. If I'm a candidate and I have not given a voter a reason to vote, if I have not made a compelling argument for what the stakes are, um, for why it matters to them, um, if I haven't reached out directly to them, mm-hmm. uh, then that's on me. That's on you. That's right. So. That's on you. And then that's the consequence yeah. and the voting booth. Um, I want to talk a little bit about you. Okay. So why? what's kept you motivated to stay in the political arena? What, what drives you? What is the energy? And what kind of uh, energy do you get back by being in this, in this political arena? You know, because it's you've been in the policy arena in many ways, but now you, you're into like this this world of politics, which is how do you get people who will actually think carefully about policy and and create policy that's good for the country. But we have to get through this gauntlet called the political process. Right. And you've been in it and have stayed in it and it, and have grown in it and have contributed to it. So, what drives you to do that? Mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's my family. It's my upbringing. I grew up in a very um, politically active, uh, politically engaged, socially engaged family, and so that was modeled for me by my parents, by my grandparents. Um, growing up, there was there was no thought of not being engaged in the fight to. Um, better our communities and to help people and to to try to uh, lift people up where you can. Um, And so in a way, the moment that we're in now, where so many people have sort of realized, uh, you know, in the last couple of years, I have to get involved in this fight. These are dire times. Welcome to the fight. Mm-hmm. It's the same fight that my parents were in that I watched them as a child um, engaging in every day. It's the same fight that my grandparents were in um, when I would hear the stories about uh, civil rights uh, protests and um, activities. It's, it's always been the same fight. And either you're in it or you're not. I was never not going to be in it. Mm-hmm. So it's in your DNA. It's, it's <laughs> in something. Yes, yes it is. Very so. good. It's great. 
So I just want to thank you so much, Royce, for taking the time to, you know, talk with me and share your ideas and both in terms of what uh, the direction of Viennese List and its contributions uh, to our policy communities, as well as your own personal story. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This was fun. This is Policy on Purpose, a podcast produced by the LBJ School of Public Affairs at the University of Texas at Austin. We take you behind the scenes of policy with the people who help shape it. To learn more, visit lbj.utexas.edu and follow us on Twitter or Facebook at the LBJ School. Thank you for listening.